0: Good morning. Welcome to our Easter service, a celebration of the empty tomb, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As Galen told you, my name is Brad Kromincic, and I am an elder here at First Baptist Church, and I am the lay pastor of Visitation. You will see that I will not use a PowerPoint or any other technology. Even though I am remarkably young, I am rather old school. So I hope that's okay. I want each and every one of you to know that I have prayed for all of you the past month. So none of you are here by accident this morning. And I have prayed I have prayed especially for people to come that are not familiar with the Easter message. I want to welcome you. What an honor it is to share the triumph of the empty tomb, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In 1997, my wife, my daughters, my mom, And Jackie Van Mark, many of you might know that name. She used to stand over there and give the announcements. She's now moved to Torrington. But that group, and then a whole mess of Episcopalians from around Wyoming, went to Israel and Sinai for a pilgrimage with Dave Dupre, who was at that time the pastor of St. Peter's Episcopal Church here in Sheridan. And it was an amazing time, one of the highlights of my life. And while there, I got to visit amazing places. And I got to go to Bethlehem and Nazareth and Jerusalem. And while there, a connection was made for me. And that connection was the connection of Jesus' birth to his death. Now, that's not particularly profound but it just clicked for me because wherever we seemed to go and wherever we talked about Jesus' birth or about his resurrection, there was a connection. The necessity of his birth was his death. And of course, he couldn't die unless he had been born. And this connection has stayed with me and you will see has heavily influenced this morning's presentation. And what I want to do this morning is I want to talk to you about Jesus. For many of you, this will be familiar, and I have prayed that your heart and mind will be touched by familiar truths that you will hear. But for others, this may be all new. And it is for you that I have especially prayed. I have prayed that your heart and mind would be ready to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And I just want to stop. We have a service before this, so I've obviously done this once today. So I don't know if you're getting the improved version or not. I seem to be more nervous now than I was an hour ago. So please bear with me. John 3.16 tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is a God that really loves us. But there's a lot of language there that's kind of church language. So what did this giving his only begotten son, what did that mean and how did that play out? Ultimately, we know that God's son was crucified. He died, he was buried, and he rose again. And, and this is no ethereal, good spring-like feeling That the tulips are coming up and isn't it beautiful? And it is beautiful. And I love the spring. But this is real death on a Roman cross. And real burial. And being dead, really dead, for three days. And then we get to Easter. The day that we're celebrating now. So I would like to start at the beginning, not really the Genesis beginning, but the beginning of Jesus' life on earth. And as I've said, from the moment of Jesus' birth, Jesus' days moved one by one inexorably towards his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension which is his return to his father's side and what we call the second coming. And that has not yet happened, but it will. So let us start with Jesus' birth. It was not what you would expect for the Son of God. In fact, it happened in a very simple setting, possibly a stable, in a rather obscure village. Where it happened and when it happened was a very busy time in Bethlehem. You have to remember, people were there because they went to be registered for the census. The town was packed. It was full of people. You can imagine all the hubbub and everything that was going on. Very few noticed Jesus' birth. But it did not go unnoticed. There were angels who came and they spoke to shepherds and the shepherds went to visit the newborn king. There were wise men and at this point they were in the process of making an arduous journey and they were going to be bringing very significant gifts. And Herod, he also heard. Eight days later, So when Jesus was only eight days old, he was circumcised and given the name Jesus. Now that wasn't the family name. It was the name given him by the angel before he was even conceived in the womb. And just something for you to think about, it's not a big part of what I have to say, but I've often wondered why didn't God send Jesus already grown? He could have done that. Then he wouldn't have to have gone through the birth and all the growing up and everything that that meant. And I'm not sure that we fully understand what that meant. But what I want to share with you is I think, well, of course, he had a reason. And I hope that you will see what that reason was. And I believe part of it was for the people that lived around him, with him, his parents, his family, they got to watch and see what it was like as Jesus grew. After that, after the circumcision and his name, and him being given his name, he returned to Nazareth where, it says in Luke 2, verse 40, he continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So there's sort of the answer to my question of why did he have to be born as a baby and grow? He grew in wisdom, and he grew in stature. At about the age of two, the wise men, that's when they arrive, bearing their gifts, and it's at that point that Herod, who knew about his birth, tried to kill Jesus. And then we skip all the way up to about 12 years old. And at 12 years old, Jesus and his earthly family are headed to celebrate the Passover. And, and, and so they go and, and they offer the sacrifices, they do what they're supposed to do, and then the family actually leaves and heads back home. And then they notice that Jesus isn't with them. And so they come back and they find him. And according to Luke 2, verse 47, he was preaching and teaching in the temple. Now, this is a 12-year-old. He's in the temple and he's preaching and teaching to the most learned religious people of the time. And all of them, it says in the verse, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So you get the picture that he gets there and they don't kick him out. They sit and listen and they ask him questions and they are amazed at the answers. He then goes back to Nazareth With his family. And according to Luke 2. Verses 51 through 52. He continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom. And in stature. And in favor with God and men. So somehow. However that looked. That Jesus. Who was fully human. And fully God. And he's growing up in a family. Like all of us did. And. And. He. Gives up his authority. And lives. Under the authority. Of his parents. He doesn't give up his authority. But he lives. Under the authority. Of his earthly mom and dad. We don't know much about what happened between his birth and the beginning of his formal ministry. But we do know, as that verse just told us, that those who spent any time with him were touched by his life. And he grew in favor not only with God, but with those whose lives he touched. At approximately 30 years of age... He's baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And while he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came out of heaven. Thou art my beloved son. In thee I am well pleased. And so there in scripture we have... Uh, one instance where we see the Trinity at work at one time. You have Jesus, God the Son. You have the Dove appearing, the Dove appearing, God the Holy Spirit. And you have the voice of God, God the Father, saying to everybody, this is my Son. So this is the beginning, then, of what I've called Jesus' formal ministry time. And and what I have done is I've gone through Scripture and picked out some things that are significant to me. And they are important to his life. And I want to share them with you. And if you were doing this, if you got to stand up here and do this, you might pick different examples, because there are many, and I couldn't pick all. But these are examples that, that I believe show one of the most important characteristics of our Lord, and it is that he always was about loving people. And he did it in many, many different ways. And he was also always about doing the will of his father. But when he did that, he did that in a way that he loved people. So I would like to just go through some of these things that happened. First, he calls the 12 disciples to become fishers of men. And those men go on to turn the world upside down. He heals many sick and demon-possessed an example of him attending to our needs, the needs of people. He hangs out and eats with sinners because he was a friend to all, because all need God's love, and all of us are created in his image. He raised people from the dead. He calmed the water in a raging storm on the Sea of Galilee just like he wants to calm our fears when that's necessary and maybe one of my favorite passages in scripture and one that you could certainly do an entire sermon on is he cast some demons into swine into the swine that he has he let me start over he casts out some demons from a demon-possessed man and cast them into some swine. And and here's the shortest version of the story. Jesus is very, very busy, and it gets to be late, and he gets in a boat, and he sails across the lake. And when he gets to the other side of the lake, he finds a man, and this man is possessed by demons. Nobody cares for this man, nobody looks after him, He is in pretty desperate shape. But to Jesus, he's very important. So he casts the demons out. The man is then in his right mind. And the man says, gosh, Jesus, I'd like to go back across the lake with you and hang out with you. Jesus says, no, you can't do that. Because here's what I want you to do. Now that you're of your right mind, I'm going to give you purpose. And I want you to do something. And what I want you to do. Is tell others. What I've just done for you. And so he does. And later in scripture we read. That he was successful at that. At spreading the gospel. Here's the part of that account that I love. Our Lord. Who has had a very busy day. A very long day. Gets into a boat. Goes across a lake. For. For. One man gets back in the boat, goes back across the lake, and continues on with what he was doing. This is a God who not only loves the multitudes, but he loves each of us as individuals. And that just brings joy to my heart, and I think that is remarkable. He feeds thousands of people miraculously, This is a way in which he meets people's needs and demonstrates his power. He teaches us to be good Samaritans. He teaches how to pray. He gives us the Lord's Prayer. He uses parables to teach us truths, like about the prodigal son. He is a great teacher, but please don't be lulled in or don't accept that explanation that, yeah, Jesus was just a great teacher. He was a great teacher. There's no question about that. But that didn't solve the big issue. Okay? He could have just, If he were just a great teacher, that couldn't have done anything about our sins. So he was a great teacher, but he was more than that. There are passages in Scripture where he sees how he loves children. I always look at that as his demonstration for the love of the most vulnerable. And another of my favorites, it just shows his humanity. I I think that we can identify with this at some levels. He longs to be with his friends. At the Last Supper, so getting close to where we are historically, he's gathered with his disciples and they're up in the upper room and they're going to have their last meal together and in the message translation luke 22:14 says i have eagerly desired to eat this passover with you before i suffer think of that for a minute he is there with his best buddies of the last 3 years and jesus knows what's about to happen his buddies are a little confused but jesus knows and what does he say He desires to spend the time with his friends. Friends, that's a very human thing. That's something we might desire. That's something that is an example of his love for his buddies, as I would like to call them, and an example to us of the importance of those that are closest to us in difficult times. We need people that love us and that we love in difficult times. These are only a few examples of Jesus' interactions with people. You might have picked different ones. There are certainly many, many more. But throughout all of his ministry, he teaches what is required to follow him He teaches about his father's kingdom. He teaches that he will be turned over to men, that he will be killed, and that he will rise from the dead. He is busy in this short period of time doing the will of his father. Always. So we might ask why did so many people want him dead? First, the religious leaders were afraid their powerful positions would be taken away by Rome. Another reason, people are fickle. And they wanted a political king. They wanted someone who would give the Romans what they deserved. And when Jesus turned out to be a different kind of king, they turned on him. And then at the level that's most important to us, our sins separated us from a relationship with God. And without Jesus' death and resurrection, what we call his shed blood, there would be no way that we could be reconciled with God. So we come to Palm Sunday last week. Jesus rides triumphantly into Jerusalem, and in Luke twenty verses thirty-seven through thirty-eight, we are told, and as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud noise for with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had been seen which they had seen, saying. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And then Jesus is betrayed. And Jesus is beaten. And Jesus is tried, in quotations, by the religious leaders. Then by Pilate. Then by Herod. Then by Pilate again. And Pilate finds no guilt in him. But he bows to the pressure of the crowd. And hands Jesus over to be crucified. And that takes us to Good Friday. And before he's taken to the cross. Some of those people. Who were cheering. His triumphal entry are now cheering for him to be crucified. And he is. Jesus is crucified, but while hanging on the cross, he pardons one of the thieves crucified next to him. And in Luke 23, 46, it says, and Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, Breathed his last. And in John, it is recorded that he says, It is finished. And in Luke 23, verse 47, it says, Now, when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly, this man was innocent. And Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for Jesus' body, and with help from Nicodemus, took it down from the cross, wrapped it in linen, and laid him in a tomb that had never been used. The significance of that is these men were quietly believers. Matter of fact, Nicodemus had come to Jesus in the night. Early morning once. But now they become brave. And they do this wonderful thing for our Lord. And the women who are to prepare the spices to embalm Jesus' body, they rest on the Sabbath. So, that brings us to today. And, and I, I just want you to think for a minute, because it's really pretty easy for, for us, or at least for me, to to live through this time of the year and to be filled with joy through this time of the year and be filled with sadness and be filled with wonder. But I can do it because I know how it ends. I mean, it's it's a lot easier for me trying to grapple with how terrible people must have felt for these last three days because I know how it ends. But they didn't. And somehow, I don't know what you have to try to think about, but their grief must have been immeasurable. Well, fortunately, that is not where the story ends. So in Matthew, and and there are other accounts, but I would like to read the account of the resurrection from Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10, and then a couple of others. Now after the sabbath as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave and behold a severe earthquake had occurred for an angel of the lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it if i that scripture this is brad this is just an idea but the angel didn't have to move the stone away for Jesus to get out. The angel moved the stone away so we could see in. That was why that had to happen that way. And his appearance, the angel, I'm back in scripture, was like lightning and his garment as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee. We'll get there in just a minute. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren To leave for Galilee, and there they shall see me. And then, if you skip ahead to verse 16 and 17. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some were troubled. So we have it, he is alive. All of the prophecies in Scripture about his birth, life, death, and resurrection are true. He is alive. All that he said about himself, his death and his resurrection are true. He is alive. He has conquered death. And so can we if we put our trust in Jesus. But as I just read, some were still doubtful even after they'd seen him. So Jesus, as is his character, and as he did his entire life, he tends to the needs of those around him before his ascension. That's when he goes back to heaven to be with his father. But he can't do that right away because there are some needs that need to be met. And, and I... This just had to be so cool. But John 20, verse 11, and there's a long passage there all the way to 18. But Jesus comforts Mary Magdalene by speaking her name. Mary. She hadn't recognized him at first, but somehow, the way he said... Her name. She immediately knew who it was. He goes for a walk. And he listens quietly to two of his followers as they walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And as they're walking, he allows them to, I've called it, vent. Here they are. They've they've lived with Jesus. Jesus. They've given their whole lives for Jesus. They've had to live through Palm Sunday, which was cool. And then they lived through the crucifixion. And then they lived through the time he was in the tomb. And now they've lived through the resurrection. And and we go, come on. But they were still confused. And they're talking about that. I call it venting. And and did Jesus scold them? No. He walked with them. And eventually, he speaks. And he explains the things concerning him that were told in Scripture. He appears to the disciples and shows them his hands and his side. At the first time, Thomas is not with him. He appears again and he gives Thomas permission to touch his wounds. And then, as he said earlier in a passage that I read, Jesus appears to seven of the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Sea of Galilee, where he had told them to go. And he fixes them breakfast. I wish I had been at that breakfast. Can you imagine that? They've been fishing all night, caught nothing. He tells professional fishermen, Why don't you put the net on the other side? They do. It fills with fish. They bring it to shore. And there he is, and he's already cooked them breakfast. I can imagine that maybe they wished that time would have lasted for a long, long, long time. Because there they were, having breakfast with their master. Must have been something. And then, during that time, Jesus takes the time to forgive And reinstate Peter, who had previously denied Jesus three times. And then we get now to the ascension. And that is the time when Jesus leaves the earth and goes to be with his Father. And I would just like to read a little bit from Luke for you about that. This is Luke chapter 24, verses 49 through 53. And behold, I, that's Jesus, am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came about that while he was blessing them, he parted from them. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and we're continually in the temple praising God. So far, everything that I have told you is true and it's happened. And it was all predicted. But there is more because Jesus also told us that he would return. And he will. And this time in the second coming No one will miss it. It won't be in an obscure little village where he's missed by most. It will be something that nobody misses. Let me read two passages quickly to you. John 14, verses 1 through 4. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And then in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky. A, a pause here. This is Brad, not scripture. You just kind of see him up there staring, you know. And, and two men in white clothing stood beside him. And they also said, men of Galilee. Why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. As I close, there is the now what question. So, you've heard all of that. I hope that God has touched your heart with that. But now what? If you are... A believer in Jesus Christ. What you need to do is rejoice and share the gospel. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are to be about sharing that with others. And the second thing is we are to be with our whole being, heart, mind, body, we are to be loving God and loving others. That's what distinguishes us. As believers in Jesus Christ. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ yet, you could accept his gift of salvation right now. And you could do that by simply talking to God out of a real conviction in your heart. And I have an example of some things you could say. It's not magic, these words. Uh, aren't Aren't the words you have to say, but it is what you could say. And if you say these words, or something like these words, in sincerity, God will listen. And you will become a child of God. So you might say something like this. Oh God, I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry for my sin. And I want to turn away from my sin. Please forgive me. I believe Jesus Christ is your son. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you raised him to life. I want to trust him as my savior. And follow him as my Lord from this day forward. I put my trust in you. And I surrender my life to you. Please come into my life and fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Only two more things. Some of the elders and myself and our wives will kind of hang around up here if you wish to visit about anything that you heard this morning. And lastly, thank you. And have a wonderful Easter as we celebrate the empty tomb, and the resurrection of our Lord. Thank you. Have a wonderful day.